Hi everyone, it's Stu here, your dulcet-toned podcast host. Are you tired of ads interrupting your favourite true crime podcast? British Murders, of course. I mean, who needs a 60-second detour when you're in the midst of an immensely well-told story? The irony of this being an ad isn't lost on me, but I wanted to let you know that you can listen to British Murders completely ad-free by signing up for a Patreon membership. For as little as £3 per month, you'll get early access to ad-free episodes, as well as a heap of other benefits. I've got a fair few bonus episodes you can sink your teeth into, and every Monday I drop a new episode of the British Murders Weekly Journal. If you enjoy exclusive giveaways, my Patreon has those too. Head to patreon.com slash britishmurders and choose either my OBE or KBE slash DBE tier to rid yourself of those pesky adverts. Plus, you'll be helping support your favourite podcast so that I can offer you even more content going forward. I'd say that I'll shut up now, but you've got the rest of the episode to listen to. Back to you, Stu. Welcome to British Murders, a true crime podcast with a focus on British murder cases. My name's Stuart Blues, and I'm excited for you to join me on this journey of morbid discovery. I'm by no means an expert on the subjects of homicide and serial killers, however I have always had a sick fascination with them. Together we will learn about some of the lesser known British murderers, as well as glimpsing occasionally at some of the more notorious ones. The bite-sized presentation of this podcast is intentional, as we look to cover an overview of the respective timelines of each case succinctly. This episode of British Murders is set in the West Yorkshire village of Slathwaite in Huddersfield, northwest England. Known affectionately to its residents as Slowit, the name Slathwaite translates as Timberfell Clearing in Old Norse. Located around five miles southwest from the centre of Huddersfield, Slathwaite is situated in an area known as the Cone Valley, which takes its name from the River Cone which runs through it. Cone is spelt C-O-L-N-E, but we pronounce it Cone. The Huddersfield Narrow Canal, which at its summit is the highest stretch of canal in Britain, also runs through this quaint little village. Being part of a town known historically for its textile industry, Slathwaite is full of old mills from the Industrial Revolution, which took place during the 18th and 19th centuries. It is here where the manufacture of woolen cloth would take place on cotton spinning machines. The village is also famous in the UK for providing the setting for the TV drama series Where the Heart Is, which was on air for 10 seasons between 1997 and 2006. This case is another one that is very close to home for me personally. The crimes discussed during this episode took place in a house on Royd Street, which is one of Slathwaite's main roads. A side street off Royd Street, not far from the house in question, is Wood Street, where my grandma lived before she passed away. Many of my friends live in Slathwaite, and other family members used to live there too. As a result, my knowledge of the locations discussed in this episode is vast, making it all the more difficult to research and write. In the year 2007, our story takes place when the subject of this episode, 
Huddersfield native Christopher Hawkins was 47 years of age. For reference, I'll be referring to him as simply Chris for the remainder of the story. Chris is a well-known resident within the Slathwaite community. He's a member of the Slathwaite Cricket and Bowling Club and is well-liked. His friends have nothing but positive things to say about him. They note he is always the life and soul of the party and a joy to be around. Chris has even been described as a good bowler by other members of the club. He's a family man. His three children, Natalie, 17, Donna, 14, and Ryan, 4, and wife Valerie, known affectionately as Val, make up the Hawkins household. Both Donna and Natalie accompanied Chris to the bowling club each week and were in charge of the scorecard. The children were always well behaved with impeccable manners. Val, whose maiden name is Guy, met Chris in 1987 when she was just 20, having previously been aware of who he was due to his violent reputation in the small village. Chris would often get into fights with other locals, typically after the mutual consumption of alcohol in one of Slathwaite's award-winning pubs. Chris's violent reputation didn't stop at bar fights with other residents. He was known to have been physical with his ex-wife. Nonetheless, despite being aware of this, Val remained interested in Chris and the two started a relationship. As is typical with most domestic abusers, Chris's old habits with his ex-wife were soon experienced by Val one Christmas Eve when they went drinking in the centre of Slathwaite. A drunken argument went from name-calling to Val being punched by Chris after she walked out of the pub they were in. Chris had simply followed Val outside and struck her there and then. The next day, Christmas Day, Chris first apologised to Val before asking her to marry him. Val accepted the marriage proposal and the two got married on September 22nd, 1990. The couple's marriage anniversary will play an important role in this story's events as they unfold. Sadly, despite trying to see the best in Chris, Val was consistently abused by her new husband. This became a way of life for her. Chris's temperament could change at the drop of a hat, which resulted in Val developing techniques that allowed her to gauge his mood. If it were likely that Chris would lash out, either verbally or physically, Val would take herself and the kids away from the situation. If she felt he was in a good place mentally, she would be able to stay in his presence without fear of being punched. The usual pattern of abuse in all of Chris's relationships is as follows. Chris consumes alcohol. He accuses his partner of cheating on him with no evidence. Upon hearing his partner proclaiming her innocence, Chris violently beats them. Chris then gets upset and profusely apologises. His partner forgives him. The cycle repeats. Another extremely damaging aspect of this repeated abuse was that the three kids would witness it. Chris was even physically abusive to Val in front of their children. Chris even went to the extreme of spitting at Val and holding her up against the wall by her neck in front of them. The kids were usually safe from Chris's physical violence. On one occasion, 
Natalie refused to go to her room after her dad had sent her there. In Chris's head, this was enough to justify holding his eldest daughter against the wall by the neck for what he described as being cheeky. Childline is a free and confidential counselling service for children and young people in the UK provided by the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, or NSPCC. Each year, the service publishes an annual review exploring what children and young people tell Childline during counselling sessions. The most recent review covered the period 2018 to 2019. It reveals that the second highest concern among children and young people in the UK is family relationships. This is described as conflict, arguments and violence between family members, especially those with parents going through a divorce or separation. A total of 26,471 counselling sessions took place in which the children raised family relationships issues. Living in a home where domestic abuse happens can have a serious impact on a child or young person's mental and physical well-being, as well as their behaviour and this can last into adulthood. Donna, Chris and Val's middle child, appears to have been affected the worst by it all. When she was just 13, she attempted to commit suicide. Frustrated with her dad for constantly sending her to her room and grounding her for such trivial things, such as eating a Mars bar which Chris stated was his, Donna procured a large number of pills and swallowed them all whilst at school. Luckily, she survived. When asked what had led her to attempt to take her own life by Helen, her auntie and Val's twin sister, Donna replied that she struggled to cope with her dad's temperament. The whole family had to walk on eggshells to ensure that Chris didn't lash out either verbally or physically. Chris displayed all the traits of a narcissist. He is self-centred, meaning his needs take priority over anyone else's. He shows no remorse and lacks empathy. He sees himself as the victim, thinking that everyone is against him. He doesn't take responsibility for his actions. He is very controlling and sees his family as his property. After 20 years of continued abuse, Val decided to leave Chris in January of 2007. The final straw came when Chris broke the microwave and rather than admitting he was at fault, he blamed the children. When confronted by Val, Chris tried to strangle her whilst Ryan, who was only three at the time, was in her arms. Chris then proceeded to spit at Val. Remember, Ryan is still in her arms whilst all this is happening. Shockingly, once Chris had calmed down, he asked Val to go out with him around Slathway later that evening. Val not only refused, but she asked Chris to pack his bags and find himself somewhere else to live. This wasn't the first time Chris had been asked to leave. Val had made this request on multiple occasions over the previous months. Still, Chris kept reiterating that he will find somewhere. Given Chris had nowhere to go, and Val had the option of moving to her mum's house, the tables quickly turned with Chris then asking Val to leave. In March 2007, a couple of months after leaving Chris, Val started a relationship with a co-worker named Lee Tinker at Slowit and Golka Cars. 
a local taxi firm where Val worked. Things were quiet for the next few months, as Val had kept her new relationship from Chris to prevent any further violence towards her or her new partner. More jealous than ever, Chris was determined to find out what was happening in Val's life. He even spoke with one of Val's friends, who revealed that she was now in a relationship with a new man. No indication was given as to who it was though. After finding this out, Chris summoned Val to his house on the pretense of discussing childcare arrangements. It was in Chris's house where Val revealed that she was now in a relationship with someone else. Chris explained how he had heard this from Val's friend and wanted to hear it from her. Opting to keep Lee's true identity a secret, it is assumed for his own safety, Val lied and said that she met her new partner at Ryan's Play School, another name for a nursery school. Val even went to the extreme of creating a fake name for her new partner. At this point, Chris, having already locked the door behind Val, closed the curtains and turned the volume way up on the TV. He then pulled out a knife and advised Val that he would kill her unless she did exactly what he said. After first stabbing the sofa a few times to show he was serious, Chris proceeded to rape Val aggressively and repeatedly throughout the night. Val cannot confirm the exact number, but believes that Chris raped her three or four times. When Val was finally allowed to leave the house, she headed to the kids' grandma's as that was where they were staying for the evening. Val broke down in tears as soon as she arrived. The kids were not only shocked to see their mum in such a distressed state, but they also noticed several marks around Val's neck from where Chris had been strangling her. According to Safe Lives, a UK charity dedicated to ending domestic abuse, high-risk domestic abuse victims live with their abusers for 2.3 years before seeking help. Victims typically experience 50 incidents of abuse before seeking and receiving effective help to put a stop to it. Some of the other statistics are truly frightening. You can read more in the show notes as I've added some helplines and resources which you can look at if you're experiencing domestic abuse or if you simply want to learn more about the signs and data surrounding it. After this most recent brutal attack, it was clear that Chris's violence was escalating. Val had had enough. Supported by her new partner Lee and twin sister Helen, Val called the police and explained what had happened the previous evening. Chris was arrested by West Yorkshire Police and charged with the rape of Val. In the lead up to the rape trial, Chris would take full advantage of his young son Ryan by using him to get information out of Val. He would ask Ryan if his mummy had a new partner, whether they stayed in bed together, what sort of things they did etc. Ryan would then relay this information back to Chris, which, unbeknownst to young Ryan, further fueled his father's pre-existing anger. Ryan would even repeat to Lee, Val's new partner, that his dad would kill him. Once the rape trial concluded, Chris's punishment was to be released on bail, and the court told him that he was banned from contacting Val in any way. He was forced to move away from Slathwaite in July of 2007 and prevented from seeing his children. 
However, he was allowed to move back in September that same year due to Val moving out of the village. Chris moved into his friend's house on Royd Street, at which point he started seeing both Ryan and Donna again. Chris then wrote many letters addressed to Val, though none were actually sent to her. One such letter read, To Val, who I will love forever. That's why me and my son are going to die September 16th. Did you think that? No. Why? Because you're too busy shagging your boyfriend, you slapper. Another read, I love you more than ever, baby, but you have killed me in life. Shagging about with that Lee Tinker. Why, why, why? Me and Ryan are going to heaven because of you two. Have you got the guts to join us, Val? Then we can talk. See you soon again, I hope. The story will continue after these quick messages. And now, back to the story. The date of September 16th is crucial here, as it is Ryan's birthday. His fourth birthday was coming up, and based on those letters, you'd think that any premeditated plans he had would have happened on that date. Ryan's fourth birthday came, and then went. Nothing happened. On September 21st, 2007, five days after Ryan's fourth birthday, Chris visited the taxi rank where both Val and her new partner Lee worked, Slowit and Golka cars. Val wasn't there, but her boss, George, was who was also her uncle. Chris discussed child arrangements and explained how he was supposed to be seeing the kids later that evening. Not knowing the situation, George informed Chris that he would get in touch with Val to let her know that he'd been asking about the arrangements. Answering the phone to her uncle, Val explained that there were no plans to have Chris see the kids that evening, but that she would speak with Donna once she got home from school and ask her to drop Ryan off at their dad's house. Val booked a taxi for Donna and Ryan for around 5pm, which would be the rough time Donna got home from high school. Val didn't realise it at the time, but she would never see her son alive again. After dropping her little brother off, Donna returned home. Ryan spent the Friday evening with his dad, and nothing out of the ordinary happened. It was a typical evening. September 22nd, 2007, the following day, held a lot of meaning to Chris, as this would have been Val and his 17th wedding anniversary. Ryan and Chris spent the occasion watching cricket and visited Slathwaite Bowling Club. Ryan was given a Spider-Man outfit as a present, as this was his favourite superhero. Like the day before, it came and went without event. The next morning, which was Sunday, September 23rd, 2007, Ryan was due to be picked up by his sister Donna. Things appeared to be not quite right from the moment Donna arrived. An extremely distressed Ryan greeted her. He was upset to the point that he had wet himself. Chris was also agitated, and it was clear that he had been drinking. He was in one of his self-pitying moods and kept repeating to Donna that he can't even look after his own son. He then started talking negatively about Val at which point Donna started to stick up for her mum. 
Donna reminded Chris that despite everything that had gone on, Val was still allowing him to see the kids, which she easily could have put a stop to. The events that followed this brief discussion between father and daughter are alarming. Having turned away from Chris and headed towards the back door, Donna turned back around to see her father behind her with a knife in his hand. He then said, I'm sorry, before stabbing his 14-year-old daughter 13 times in what she described as a frenzied attack. Two of the stab wounds penetrated her abdomen with such force that the knife pierced her liver. One stab wound punctured one of Donna's lungs, whilst another removed a large chunk from her right arm. Donna was even stabbed in the face through her mouth, and her right arm was also broken as a result of the attack. Chris then said, I've got to kill Ryan now, and walked towards the sofa where his four-year-old son was sitting. He raised the knife above his head and proceeded to stab Ryan 11 times. A number of the blows were to Ryan's chest, two of which penetrated his heart. Leaving the house following the attacks, Chris then decided to walk down the road to the centre of Slathwaite and entered a pub named The Silent Woman. Chris was well known in this pub as he used to run it with Val. Covered in the blood of his son and daughter, he then ordered a pint of alcohol. Having passed out due to blood loss, Donna woke up and managed to muster the strength to pull herself up and run out of the back door. She collapsed over the road in front of two young girls, who Donna recognised as one of her friend's sisters. One of the first people on the scene to help Donna was local convenience store owner Wakar Zaman, who used his t-shirt as a makeshift tourniquet in an attempt to stem the blood flow from Donna's stab wounds. After drinking a couple of pints in The Silent Woman, Chris left and started walking around the centre of Slathwaite. Again, he was covered in his son and daughter's blood, something noticed by several witnesses. When West Yorkshire police were made aware of the situation, they were told that a four-year-old boy and a 14-year-old girl had been stabbed multiple times and that the prime suspect, their father, was on the run. Unaware of the horror that had taken place, Val and Lee, both working that day at the taxi rank, were informed by Slathwaite locals that Donna had been stabbed. There was no mention of Ryan, as he was still in the house and word hadn't got out that he had been attacked too. Chris was arrested in the centre of Slathwaite, not far from the taxi rank. Police can't categorically confirm that he was heading there, still, it is common for individuals who have killed their kids to seek their ex-partners out to see their reaction when they inform them of what has happened. Val and twin sister Helen headed towards Huddersfield Royal Infirmary, the town's local hospital. Arriving there before the ambulance carrying Donna, Val managed to speak to some of her daughter's friends, who explained that both ambulances are on their way. Taken aback, Val asked what they meant by both ambulances. At this point, Donna's friends informed her that Donna was in one and Ryan was in the other. Her friends thought that Ryan was only being brought in as a precaution due to his young age. The sisters agreed that Val would focus her attention on Donna when she arrived in her ambulance and Helen would take care of Ryan, 
as Donna was the one who had been stabbed. When the first ambulance arrived, it was Ryan's. Helen saw that he was covered in blood and suddenly realised that he wasn't only being brought in as a precaution. Five minutes after arriving at the hospital, doctors informed the sisters that young Ryan had died due to his injuries. He was only a week removed from his fourth birthday. Donna, who had miraculously survived the frenzied knife attack, was taken inside the hospital and repeatedly asked the doctors and nurses if she was going to die. They eventually responded by saying that they didn't know. Chris, now in police custody, admitted that he stabbed both Donna and Ryan before explaining to the officers why he committed such a heinous act. He said it was because his wife was having an affair. He then asked if they were okay. During questioning by DC John Lee at Halifax Police Station later that same day, Chris initially responded, no comment, to the questions posed to him. It was only upon hearing how many times he had stabbed young Ryan that he showed any shred of emotion. He explained to DC Lee that he felt stressed, depressed and heartbroken. In a strange twist, after a few days of questioning, Chris claimed he heard voices in his head and attempted to use this as an excuse for what he did. He is quoted as saying, I've had people talking to me up here, corner of the walls. They're like voices. They come down onto me. When asked what he meant and how these voices came down onto him, Chris replied, Won't comment, because they've told me not to. This was the first time Chris had ever mentioned hearing voices, which led officers to believe it was merely a ploy to shift any responsibility and blame from him. The trial started in February 2008 at Leeds Crown Court. Leeds is the largest city in the county of West Yorkshire. Chris pleaded not guilty to both charges of murder and attempted murder. As a result of this plea, Donna was forced to take the stand to give her testimony about the chain of events and had to suffer reliving the ordeal all over again. Val believes that Chris did this as he knew he would be sent to prison for life and it was a chance for him to see his children one last time in court. When he took to the stand, Chris said the following. I must have been insane. If I was sane, Ryan would still be here and my daughter wouldn't have these horrific scars. I don't know why I stabbed my children. It wasn't me. There was something evil inside me. I just saw red and a mist came down. I don't remember what happened. I loved my children. I still do. Ryan was so special. He was every father's dream, the perfect son. I couldn't have asked for a better son, a more loving son. It took the jury less than three hours to return with a verdict of guilty for all charges. Chris was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 21 years before being eligible for parole. Sentencing judge Mr Justice Wilkie said, I'm satisfied that you used Ryan cold-heartedly as a vehicle for avenging yourself on your wife. Although to this court and after the event, you profess great love for Ryan and mourned his passing, in my judgment, having seen you give evidence and had the opportunity to assess your genuineness, these were crocodile tears. As he was led away from the court, 
he turned towards where his daughters were sitting and shouted, I love you, Donna. I love you, Natalie. After the trial had concluded, a review took place by the Kirklees Safeguarding Children Board, a body that works with all agencies to safeguard and promote the welfare of children and young people in Kirklees. Kirklees is a local government district of West Yorkshire, which both Slathwaite and Huddersfield fall under. The review panel highlighted significant failures of communication by all agencies involved. Kirklees Council, West Yorkshire Police, Kirklees Primary Care Trust, and the Calderdale and Huddersfield Foundation NHS Trust. The report said, It was apparent that whilst a number of agencies had significant involvement with the family over recent years, and that in all cases domestic violence had been a feature, no agency ever addressed domestic violence as a primary concern. It was of concern to the review panel that at no point did any agency consider the significant dangers of unsupervised contact between the children and the father. At the time of the incident, the parents had separated and there were serious charges against the father of rape, false imprisonment and use of a weapon. The review panel made a total of 28 recommendations to local authorities based on their findings, in the hope that the recommendations would prevent situations such as Ryan and Donna's from ever happening again. That was the story of British murderer Christopher Hawkins. A key resource used in this episode's research is the documentary series Killer in the Family. Season 1, Episode 2 is the one focusing on this case. A common theme throughout this episode was domestic violence and the effects it can have on children. If you are affected by any of the issues raised during this episode, are experiencing domestic violence or are concerned about a child's welfare, please visit the relevant links in this episode's show notes. For more on British murders, please feel free to check me out on social media. The links for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and YouTube are all in the show notes. You can support the show every month by becoming a Patreon member, where you'll get access to ad-free episodes, my scripts, raw and unedited audio, as well as more. Memberships start from £1 a month. Or you can support the show on a one-off basis by visiting Buy Me A Coffee. The links for both of those are in the episode description. Any funds raised will go towards researching the show and will help with the hosting costs involved. Some exciting news is that we now have British Murders merchandise, which you can purchase on Teespring. The link for that is in the show notes. I personally bought the premium hoodie, which is just ridiculously soft and looks absolutely awesome. Feel free to buy some swag. You can email me on britishmurderspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your case suggestions, or if you just want to get in touch, you can do so there or via social media. Finally, if you could leave me a review on iTunes, it would be greatly appreciated. It massively increases the show's exposure and ultimately helps the show grow. Many thanks to my friend Lorraine of Once Upon a Nightmare for your recent five-star review of British Murders. I'd like to take the opportunity before I sign off to tell you all about a really great podcast based in the world's second largest country. In case your geography isn't on point, I'm referring to Canada. Canadian podcasters are smashing it right now. There are so many incredible podcasts out there from the land of maple syrup. 
the one I'm promoting on this episode, is named Cuff and Gavel. Named so because hosts Anna and Alex cover true crime cases from the closing of handcuffs to the fall of the judge's gavel. Before I play the trailer, let me remind you that I've been Stuart Blues, this has been British Murders, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, cheerio. Hi, I'm Anna. And I'm Alex. We're the hosts of Cuff and Gavel, a Canadian true crime podcast covering cold-blooded murders, thrilling thievery, dastardly deceptions, and more. That's right. Every episode, Anna and I dive deep into the world of true crime and deliver thorough, thoughtful, and blistering discussions on the unsolved, the obscure, and the infamous. We follow every story from the scene of the crime. From the closing of cuffs to the fall of the gavel, we've got you covered with a heaping supply of intrigue and scorching hot takes. We'll discuss the investigations, forensics, courtroom dramatics, and human interest stories behind the cases that keep you coming back for more. So if you like your takes hot. If you're into smoking pipes and picking fights. And if you like your tea spills while you seek thrills, we hope you'll put the kettle on and join us at Cuff and Gavel. Available on Apple Podcasts.